0: Glory to God. Amen. We pray with me. King of all kings, we acknowledge and worship you today, recognizing you as our only king. We have no king but Jesus. We thank you that you're the king of all the kings. You are the king of the Jews, you're the king of righteousness, you're the king of the ages. You're the king of heaven. You're the king of glory. You are our king, king of kings, and we worship you and give thanks today, Lord, for all that you have done for us. And Father, I pray that you would help us to worship you with hearts consecrated to you alone, with thanks, Lord, for all that you've done for us in the strong name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Amen. God is good. All the time. Oh, it's good to worship with you today. Don't you love this weekend? I love uh, Memorial Day, and uh, it just reminds us that freedom isn't free; that there is a cost uh, for freedom. And those who died to preserve liberty remind us of an amazing heritage that we have as Americans. I mean, not everything is is perfect in America, but there is much that is good, and we give thanks to God for our heritage of freedom. And I. Thought this morning as Michelle Westbrook led us in uh, our earlier service of worship, her husband Trey has been stationed in Iraq for the last year. He's coming home uh, soon, and we are looking forward to his return. And then uh, uh, Valerie's uh, husband John, Valerie Millard's husband John, who's in Afghanistan, the Richardson son John. We have so many in our congregation who serve uh, those two young men, both in Afghanistan. We have a great heritage and we are grateful. We also have a great heritage as followers of Christ. The psalmist said, You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. That's a great heritage as well. And we all have some heritage, something passed down from our families to us. We may be proud of it or maybe in some ways we may dislike something that was passed down to us. But we can give thanks that our families give us something. I love the story of the boy whose heritage from his family was honesty. In fact, I received this this week. I don't know if you heard this, but uh, I'll just let him tell his own story. In his own words, he said, Our teacher asked us what our favorite animal was. And I said, Fried chicken. (laughs) She said I wasn't funny, but she, she couldn't have been right because everybody else in the class laughed. And my parents told me to always be truthful and honest. And fried chicken is my favorite animal. I told my dad what happened. He said my teacher was probably a member of PETA. And he said they love animals very much. I do too, especially chicken and pork and beef. Anyway, my teacher sent me to the principal's office. I told him what happened. He laughed too, and then he said, don't do that again. And the next day in class, my teacher asked me what my favorite live animal was, and I told her it was chicken. She asked me why, just like she asked the other children. So I told her it was because you could make them into fried chicken. She sent me back to the principal's office again. He laughed again and told me not to do it again. I don't understand, the little boy writes. My parents taught me to be honest, but my teacher doesn't like it when I am. Today, my teacher asked us to tell her what famous person we admire the most. I told her, Colonel Sanders. (laughs) Guess where I am now, he writes. Yeah, he's in jail. He's in a lot of trouble. Well, he had a heritage of honesty, and he was faithful to that heritage. I wonder if somewhere in his uh, ancestry there isn't a Baptist preacher. I'm just curious. Probably so. Everyone has a heritage. What is yours? And better yet, what are you doing with that heritage? And how are you sharing that with the next generation? Would you open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Comes on the heels of the great hall of fame of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. We're talking about making disciples in our homes. And it occurred to me that you and I, if we're going to make disciples of the next generation, need to take the faith that has been given to us, And pass it on intact to the next generation. Let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord today. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1, 2, and 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance The writer of Hebrews tells us about a heritage of faithfulness... When he says, therefore, at the beginning of chapter 12, he is pointing back really to the whole book of Hebrews, but to chapter 11 especially, he's been telling the writers that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than the angels. That's an important corrective for our day as well, because we can become enamored with and obsessed with angels and forget the king of the angels, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater than Moses, he says, which in writing to Hebrew Christians in the first century might have confronted some misunderstanding on their part. Jesus is greater than Abraham. Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. Jesus is greater. He's just greater. And as he comes to the crescendo of the book in chapter 11, he says 29 times, by faith. And he talks about great men and women of God who live their lives trusting in God and their faith is exemplary for us showing us the way to trust God as well and in full view of their lives he says therefore surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses it's as if they are sitting in a stadium they're surrounded by all of these former athletes who've won gold medals and the marathoners come in they're going to take their last lap there in that great stadium and they're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses and he says when you see them and how faithful they have been then it's incumbent upon you To be faithful as well. To finish strong as you focus on the Savior and forsake your sin. To finish strong so that you may pass that legacy of faith on to the next generation. As Carol loves to say from Psalm 78, we will tell the next generation and the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of our God. And I think these days sometimes do you? I think these days sometimes about legacy, about what my legacy will be. You say, Well, you're a little young to be worried about that, but we think about these things. We we the, the politicians think about the legacy they will leave, the professors think about the legacies they will leave and their students. We all sometimes think about legacy. What will we give to our grandchildren? What will we give to our children? What do we have to offer? And it just hit me as I read these verses recently. The very best thing, dare I say, the only valuable thing that I have to offer to my children and my descendants is a heritage of faithfulness to God. And if, in fact, I succeed at that. And by the way, our testimony is never, fa- is, is never safe until we reach the finish line. But if I succeed at that, it really won't matter how much I leave them in terms of the material. But what if we left them everything material and failed to leave them a heritage of faith? Wouldn't we have failed them? What does Socrates say? Oh, citizens of Athens, how is it that you turn and scrape every stone seeking to find wealth and take so little care of your children? To whom you must one day leave it all. What heritage do we pass on? And in the book of Hebrews we read about the perfect legacy given to us through our perfect Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us in these verses two things and I just want to share them with you. The first is that we can trust our spiritual heritage in Christ. Now notice what he says in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we... He's talking to believers here. He says, believers, you are surrounded. It's not just as though you can look out there and say, well, here was a Christian and there was a Christian. Somewhere back there, there was a faithful... No, he says, if you could see the stadium of all of those faithful people who have run the same race you were trying to run, what you would discover is that there are myriad witnesses. The word is Race. It gives us the word martyrs. There are myriad people who paid a very high price... To be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what you learn about them is that they live by faith. Not one time or two times or or three times. But in, in chapter 11 alone, 29 times by my count, he says by faith. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than his brother Cain. By faith, Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees. By faith, his descendants, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and they're not alone. By faith, Moses, he says. He goes on to talk about Moses' parents. He talks about great men and women, and he almost exhausts the Old Testament, and finally says, I don't have time to tell you about the judges. And he he lists some of them and talks about their great faithfulness to God. And as he describes them, he tells us, these are people who lived By faith. And by faith, verse 33, they conquered kingdoms and administered justice. Some, verse 36 of chapter 11, faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. On Memorial Day, let us remember the people before us who lived by faith. He says the world... Was not, verse 38, the world was not worthy of them. Isn't it amazing they were not worried about their net worth. But they lived such worthy lives that the world itself, with all of its treasures, was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. And they were commended for what, verse 40, for their faith. And Faith is simple trust in God. As he says in verse one of chapter 11, it's being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see." He goes on to say in verse six, "Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Can I ask you? What heritage are you leaving to your family in the way of faith? And trust in God I've had the time in recent days just to point back with Casey to some of our ancestors that she never knew. To talk with her about a grandmother in Missouri when I was five years old who loved the Lord Jesus Christ with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength. And because she died an early death, Casey never got to know her, but oh, What a treasure she was. She had a great faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember my dad some years ago, my dad and I went up to Tennessee and we found the churches that our grandfather, his great-great-grandfather, my great-great-great-grandfather started there in Tennessee. And I remember the first time I discovered the name Levi Brooks. I was sitting in a library in Central Texas when I was in college. I was working on a paper on my family's spiritual heritage. And there, reading through the genealogy rolls, I find Levi Brooks. I've found him in earlier censuses as well. But when I get to this one, instead of saying farmer out there for his occupation, it says minister of the gospel. And then uh, finding in that same library that same night, it was kind of a Eureka evening for me, but opening up a little book about Tazwell uh, ancestors and finding there the story of this man, Levi Brooks, and the story of his faithfulness to God. And I thought... In my heritage, there's a Baptist preacher who planted churches. And my dad and I got to see those churches. And I am grateful for that spiritual heritage. As he describes it, those who who live by faith, as he describes it. Those who sometimes lived sacrificially, as he describes it. They gave their lives. They were persecuted and they were mistreated. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, and you're facing some opposition in your culture. And he says, so that you don't become weary you need to remember these people who lived by faith. They were faithful people. They offered sacrifice to God. And Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God. And in our, in our country, there are stories of sacrifice. I read about Bob Feller this week. Some of you who are baseball fans know his story, but how back when Pearl Harbor was bombed, he was a 23 year old pitcher with the Cleveland Indians, and there, He had already won 107 games as a 23-year-old. Think about that. He had already pitched a no-hitter. But he enlisted and he went and he served his country in World War II. And when he came back, he won another 159 games, pitched a couple more no-hitters. He made it into the Hall of Fame. But when they named the all-century team, he was not named because he didn't have as many victories as some of his peers. But had he, somebody said, had he pitched that extra 80 or 100 games that he would surely have pitched, had he not gone off into the military, he would have had over 300 wins. He would have made the all-century team. They asked Bob Feller, do you ever regret? the baseball games you missed he said I regret a lot of things in my life but I do not regret the years I gave to my country in service of my country it was the right thing to do and I gave all of my all better than winning baseball games is to give our lives to a higher cause something more noble than we from time to time these days we gather in this room for funerals and we gather for what uh, one has called the greatest generation and we read their accomplishments we hear about these who fought at Iwo Jima and who fought at the chosen reservoir and who were so amazing in service to their country and then read about when they came back what they did And the accomplishments they had and the achievements that they made for their country when they came back to the United States. And we cannot help but wonder when we look at those World War II monuments and those Vietnam monuments and we see those lists of names and those who gave their lives. What might they have accomplished had they not given their lives and yet they gave their lives for freedom because freedom is not free. We live faithfully. We live sacrificially. Why would we do that? Because we look To a brighter future and as he describes these I couldn't help but notice in in chapter 11 again in, in verse 13 he says all these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They were looking to the future. Verse 14 says people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. And in verse sixteen, instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. This is this is an amazing, not just hall of fame of faith, but family of faith. And I wonder who was faithful in your family? And you might have to go back as I did and look in the, the genealogical records to find those who were followers of Christ. And maybe you have a godly heritage. Or maybe you would say, you know what, I don't have a very godly heritage. I, I read the words of a, of a comedian this week who was telling of his story. And they said, do you have a heritage of faith? He said, well, my grandfather was a Baptist preacher, but he was a mess he was in all kinds of trouble. His deacons sold crack cocaine. He was a mess and his people were a mess. And they said, Well, what's your heritage? He said, Well, I just sort of believe that I should treat people right. That's my heritage, and that makes more sense than all that nonsense about Jesus, he said. And I read that and I thought, Wow, that's all you got? <laughs> that's that's all you have? If you don't have the heritage of those, I was out at Street Reach this week with some of you and we were ministering to the folks who live on the streets in our city at Montrose and there was a wonderful lady who came up in a wheelchair. She lives in that wheelchair and I just stood there and talked with her for a while and I said, well, tell me your story and she said, well, I don't know where my story began. I said, where's your hometown? She said, I don't know. She said, that monster that they called my father. That's the way she started the sentence, that monster that they called my father and I thought, well, you know, there's some people who look at their heritage and go, wow, there is nobody back there who was a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me give you good news. We're not only surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, but even if we can't find any familiar faces in that stadium, the scripture goes on to say we are saved. We are saved by a great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews says in verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Why? Because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. Maybe you don't have any other heritage, but if you have Jesus, believe me, he is all the heritage you will ever need. Jesus Christ is enough. Maybe your father or your mother didn't serve the Lord. Maybe your grandfather or your great-grandfather didn't. But if you have Jesus, you have enough. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he is in our, our spiritual family tree. And we look back to him and he is the author and the perfecter of our faith and he's the one who perfects our faith and as we read about it here in, in the book of Hebrews, I couldn't help but notice in chapter 2, for instance, that he was made perfect. He's the perfect legacy because it says in chapter 2, verse 10, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of our salvation perfect through suffering. He's perfect. And he was perfected, by the way, through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, he says. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. In chapter 10, we read again about our spiritual heritage when he says, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. Eugene Peterson, I read the book of Hebrews in in the message this week, and I'm reading that through this year as part of my own devotion and Um, He says that Jesus makes the perfect one makes us perfect who were imperfect so that we will be perfect forever. It's a beautiful way of describing what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our heritage. He is the legacy of faith that is given to us so that we can place our trust in him. So trust that spiritual heritage because the book of Hebrews says only those who trust ever enter into rest we will never rest if we don't learn to trust in God. Jesus, I am resting, resting. I only rest when I place my trust in him. We trust in that heritage and we also have the responsibility then of transferring, transmitting that heritage to the next generation. So listen to what he says. Now that you're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The scriptures never wink at sin. You never hear Him saying, well, people will just be people. No, the scriptures take sin seriously and so must we who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ take sin seriously in our lives. Why? Because it entangles us, because it hinders us. If you think about it in terms of the runner, that's the analogy, the runner who wants to run the race. You hear the apostle Paul saying, I press toward the mark, leaving behind, forgetting those things which are behind to follow Christ. I've got to forsake some things. I've got to leave some things behind because they will entangle me. They will encumber me. I remember going to one of our son's first cross-country races we were not sure how he was going to do he turned out okay but we were a little worried about him going in because he had never done anything but sit on the couch and eat potato chips but anyway it was his big it was his big first race and I was you know typically me I'm driving up late I'm talking on the phone to one of our guests who's visited our church and just sharing with her about the ministries of Tallowood and I get out of the car and I see my son there and he's on the starting line and I'm like okay here we go and I look and he's wearing sweatpants and it's about 80 degrees and humid and I'm thinking oh no this is not good so I said I'll call you later and I run across there you know the father's running to the son who's running the race saying hey you need to lose those because if you don't if you got on sweatpants just wear the shorts underneath because if you got those on you're going to slow you down it feels good right now but when you get in the middle of the race that's going to hold you back and when you're running a race you don't want anything to hold you back and believe me when I say sin will hold you back it'll it'll take you farther than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay and cost more than you want to pay, sin will hold you back. I was listening to a sermon on the radio this week. Alistair Begg. Maybe some of you listen to him sometimes. I just caught just a snippet of it. And this is what he said. He said, If you and I trivialize our own sin, we will trivialize the sin of our children. And if they hear godliness in our words, but see wickedness in our lives, we will be pointing them to heaven but leading them to hell. Now that was that was quite a thing, just to turn on the radio and just hear a guy say that. And I thought, that is so absolutely true we dare not he says leave sin behind forsake sin and focus on the Savior why focus on the Savior because he's the one who endured we can endure because he endured you say but I'm enduring all this difficulty there are things that are bothering me no Jesus endured the cross we've not suffered at that level yet he says and Jesus was able to do that because he saw the joy that was before him and he scorned its shame and he carried on and he pressed toward the mark and he was able to do that and then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God where the writer of Hebrews says he ever lives to make intercession for us so we've got an advocate who's helping us as we run the very same race the race that is marked out for us so that we can say after we finish strong what the apostle Paul said I have fought the good fight I have finished the race I have kept the faith now there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness and not only for me but he said also for all Who have longed for the appearing of Jesus Christ. Is that you? Oh if we could forsake sin. If we could focus on the Savior. We could. I'm convinced of it. We could finish strong. We could finish strong. And I think about the legacy that we leave. And I read this week in a a little book. That talked about uh, the morality in our country. And it was called uh, A Crisis of Morality. Al Sanders. Contrast two legacies. He talks about a man named Max Jukes. Anybody know Max Jukes? I I didn't know him. He lived in the colonial period. Listen to what it says about him. Max Jukes, the atheist, lived a godless life. He married an ungodly girl, and from their union there were 310 who died as paupers. 150 were criminals, 7 were murderers, 100 were drunkards, and more than half of the women were prostitutes. His 540 descendants cost the state one and a quarter million dollars. That's the legacy of of a godless man. But he contrasted him with a man who lived at the same time in the same state. I bet you know the name Jonathan Edwards. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. The the Puritan preacher. The amazing minister. He lived at the same time as Max Jukes. He married a godly girl. An investigation recently made of 1,394 of his known descendants found this. 13 became college presidents, 65 college professors, three United States senators, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 75 army and navy officers, 100 preachers and missionaries, 60 authors of prominence, one a vice president of the United States, 80 became public officials in other capacities, 295 college graduates, which back in the colonial era is, is an amazing thing, among whom were governors of states and ministers to foreign countries, and his descendants did not cost the government a penny. You ask me, what difference does it make what kind of life we live? Those who live a life of faith have a legacy to leave to their descendants that will last not only for this lifetime but for an eternity we have been, been given a great gift in the gospel of Jesus Christ it has transformed our lives let that transformation continue until its work is completed until we are sanctified until we live for Jesus Christ and Him alone till we love Him more than anything else in this world till we trust Him with everything that we are and believe me when I say those who come behind us will take notice and all who come behind us what did we sing let all who come behind us find us faithful like this great family of faith this great cloud of witnesses I'm asking you to join the cloud to become one of those who bears witness to the faithfulness of Jesus Christ by living a faithful life would you pray with me father thank you that you are faithful I pray Lord you'd help us today to be faithful with the opportunities you give to us. It would be easy, Lord, to lose sight of the legacy we have received. But today, Lord, we want to be faithful to you because you've been so incredibly faithful to us. I pray, Lord, you'd help us today to make commitments that matter, to change, Lord, to forsake sin, to focus on you so that we may finish strong. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.